Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Back in the hot seat after returning from the conference in Miami. Managed to get over there. Don't ask any questions. It was brilliant. That was an absolutely excellent conference. It was great to meet so many of you guys, of the listeners and the people that have been on the show, who I've got to know over the uh, the last couple of years of doing this. So damn good. Make sure you're checking out conferences in and around your own countries. Get there if you can, because these in real life events are what you need believe me to although i've got to tell you the come down's pretty heavy uh i don't know what's worse the fomo or the come down but uh like i say there, there's few conferences going on one of those actually has been hosted in october 21st to the 23rd in prague that's been put on by the free free cities foundation guys uh peter young has been on the show a couple of times titus gable is going to be speaking I'm going to be speaking there, Stefan Lavera, amongst many others as well. So it's not a full-on Bitcoin-only event. It is about parallel structures, but it's definitely worth checking out if you can get there. If you're in the US, check out bitcoinday.io. Use OB10 for a 10% discount. They're running small meetups every month in a different state out of the US. So definitely check it out. If you're traveling there, if you live there, it's worth getting along to these small events. If you're stacking sats, good for you. If you're not stacking sats, what the hell are you doing? These are the companies you can use to stack sats. In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will get you a free $10. This is a great company. Great to meet some of the team members over there in Miami as well. The, uh, the equivalent app, I would say, in Europe would be Relay. Relay.ch. Uh, forward slash bit and again all these links are in the show notes go and check out relay they're based in switzerland they have the euro plebs covered great app for stacking coin corner you can set up auto buys with coin corner or you can use them like you'd use any other exchange you can go in and smash buy by the way you can smash buy on swan and relay as well coin corner are more of an exchange they have some extra services go check out coincorner.com and reach out to Danny and Molly on the team. They're very active on Twitter. Bitcoin Reserve are another way you can stack across Europe. Nick and the guys are doing a great job. Thanks, Nick. Great to, uh, great to meet in Miami. Check the links in the show notes. These guys can help you up to a thousand euros or pounds a day or put on your white gloves or they will put on the white gloves and help anybody with big positions that want to put on 50,000 or more. Very handy for those orange pills to the uh, the boomers in your life, maybe. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. That's where you want to store your keys. And this is going to keep your Bitcoin safe. That link in the show notes will get you a 5% discount. It was also awesome to meet these guys too. 
Enjoy this episode with Alex. He has an amazing story to tell. All right, we're recording. We're with with Alex. Hey, Alex, how you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Very good. Now, Lauren, this this is like we, we've had a little holiday. Yeah, so from from I podcasting. Get used to this again. Yeah, well, there's the microphone, so you need to speak into that. Yeah. Um. Hi. So um. So I'm just gonna ask a really quick question because I um I really need to go. But um. So what do you do? Like as in what? What do I do? So I am a designer and a metal worker. So I make stuff out of metal. I make things for other people, um, do lots of like welding and fabrication. But my true passion is designing things and making them, designing stuff that I like for myself. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to apply those skills uh, to the kind of Bitcoin world because Bitcoin is largely a, a sort of digital, it's a digital realm. Um, it's been interesting trying to think of sort of product ideas that I can design and make to fit in with this kind of digital realm of Bitcoin. Basically, I'm trying to find a way to use my skills in Bitcoin because I love Bitcoin. All right, that sounds cool. Do, do you think you learned those metal, metal skills at uh, school? No. <laughs> is that true <laughs> did, you, did um, you no all my metal well i guess yes and no <clears throat> because I, I i got into metalworking just because it's something i loved doing when i was a kid me and my dad used to um just hang out in the garage and we we started making knives together so that was my my way into metalwork like I liked making little pocket knives um, and I just, I just got a love for it. I think it's kind of in the family because my, my granddad was, um, he was really good with his hands. He was a very talented mechanic, but he used to do lots of welding and making things. And um, <clears throat> so I kind of inherited that. Um, and so my passion has always been making stuff. So I've always, and I've always kind of just taught myself things Um but then I did, I went on to, so I went on to study um, silversmithing and jewelry design. Um, and so I did, I kind of studied that at a sort of formal kind of school environment, university, like polytechnic. Um, <clears throat> and obviously learned a lot of skills there as well. But I think I would have always sort of learn stuff myself under my own like I, I everything I learn I kind of is through uh self-directed study really um yeah Doing. I think that's the way you have to find your passion and go with it don't you I think because le learning is kind of I'm sure you find this Lauren but like if you're interested in something it's easy to learn about it because it's kind of it's just pulling you along you're you're following your own interest and it and the time just goes really quickly um but when you're trying to learn something when someone's when you're trying to learn something that you're not interested in when you're in a in like a normal kind of school i know you're homeschooled so it's different um but if you're not interested it's basically impossible to learn isn't it it's like you can't it's like pushing on a string um 
Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. All of it's true. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say goodbye because I know you need yeah, to run. Yeah, I really need to go. Sorry. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Lauren. Nice to meet you. <clears throat> All right, mate. Well, thank you. And uh, shout out to Self Banked for, for putting us together. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Sounds like uh, you two uh, have become friends or were already friends or like just uh, met, met each other through the, the world of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're both, um, we're both in the, on the, the Bristol Bitcoin scene now. So I, I met him. Uh, we actually, I met him. We went to, uh, we were going to go to a um, anti-lockdown rally. Right. Um, and we kind of both, both turned up for it and it was, there was basically no one there. It was, uh, it was quite, it was almost, it was, it was sort of, I felt like I was in a sitcom. There was like 15 people. It was just the most motley crew um, of individuals. And uh, in the end, we just, we went to the pub and chatted for like three hours. And that was the first, that was the first Bitcoiner I'd met IRL. And so it was, it was really nice um, in a kind of sort of organic way. And so, yeah, it was really nice just like chatting it all just came out because i'd been i'd been going down the rabbit hole hard for like those kind of that year and a half well um, was that your entry like up. um like the, the beginning of kind of lockdown or covid or whatever yeah well i so i i got into bitcoin in um late 2017 so it was like the tail end of that that bull market in sort of October, September, October time. Um, and back then, I just um, my my friend got me into it. <clears throat> um, she's from Argentina, and she, someone had to um, her parents had to transfer some money out of Argentina, basically because of all the capital controls and everything. There, it was impossible, and they 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 realized they could do it with Bitcoin. And so that's how, that's how, how she got into it. And I just saw it as a, I found, I found it really interesting, but back then because of the, the kind of price action that was happening, it was just a kind of get rich quick kind of thing that, that poured me in. Yep. Um, and then I, but I stuck with it. I, um, so I was, I was trading it and I was, I was into, uh, all the shit coins as well. Like, uh, I've got on the, the the whole kind of um, the sort of all the rites of passage with Bitcoin. Um, yeah, was into all the all the trading and and shit coining, and then um, it was only I, I kind of stuck with it, stayed interested in it, and kept. I was looking at the chart every day for like three years. Um, following the price action but it was only when the pandemic happened and the response to it came on that i after that march 2020 crash i realized i needed to study about the financial system generally because i thought i need to understand this it's all every everything seems to be based upon it like everything is kind of downstream from this financial system. So I need to understand it better. And so I just, I just like, then I properly dove in and became obsessed, like learning about bonds, like studying all of the, 
all of the different markets and learning about how money works and the whole fiat system. And it, I was just obsessed for like, for yeah, months and months, just listening to podcasts, almost like every waking hour, just like. Which ones were you tuning into? Do you remember? Uh, well, I was listening to yours, of course. I listened to a lot of Saifedean. Um, I listened to, um, I read Jeff Booth's book, which I thought was amazing. And I, John Vallis quickly became a favorite and Robert Breed loves stuff. I remember reading the, the Masters and Slaves of Money thing. Um, and oh, Bitcoin and then, number zero i've had that blew my mind um yeah a lot of his writing um i was just consuming anything i could really and it, and it, i remember ray dalio's um the economic machine right. video was pivotal that was my sort of first I, I watched that several times just trying to understand every concept and i it just like generated loads of questions um like what is this leap they just changed the interest rates with a lever like yeah. <laughs> whenever they want um yeah yeah so i was like how does that even work um yeah i was just consuming everything i could and became completely obsessed and insufferable to anyone else around me <laughs> of course <laughs> we've all been through that that as well at what point did you during that journey did you suddenly kind of think to yourself how has no one taught me this before? Like, how have I never been exposed to, to this? Why did nobody ever talk about this at school or even in my close circle of friends or, you know, at, at the Polytechnic or anything? Um, pretty early on, uh, I, I, I realized, I kind of just accepted that as, um, it kind of made sense to me that no one had had done that because I, I, I so I had already been primed to kind of see everything as a scam mm -hmm. um, through wow. through another experience and, okay. and um, so I, I was kind of primed to um, see like sort of most mainstream sort of the whole kind of mainstream system I was I was primed to see that as uh, illogical and kind of dishonest. And that, so my, my first kind of like peek behind the curtain, I guess, was through like learning about diet and nutrition and, and realizing that the, all of the um, kind of mainstream advice regarding that subject was completely upside down. Um, <clears throat> And I, I came to that because I, I, I got quite sick. Um, I think it was in late 2016. I contracted this autoimmune disease, which basically started paralyzing my arms. Um, mm. And so I immediately started looking for kind of like dietary and lifestyle uh, solutions to try and heal myself from, from that. So the first kind of question that led me on a kind of alternative way of thinking was what is the healthiest diet? Um, and so I started like pulling on threads and going down the sort of paleo, paleo diet rabbit hole and 
trying lots of things out, doing lots of self-experimentation. Um, and then I realized the thing after, after several years of um, experimenting and like declining health and feeling quite unwell a lot of the time, I found that basically eliminating all plant foods made me feel so much better. Uh, so I, I started doing the, the carnivore diet like three years ago now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that's improved my health tremendously. And then ever since then, it, that kind that experience kind of primed me to, it really made me start questioning everything because it's so contrary to everything that you're told about diet and lifestyle. Um, yeah, totally. All right. Can, can we dig into this then? And like, just take this a step at a time, because uh, there's a huge yeah, yeah. crossover here, as you know, with Bitcoin and health mm. and many other subjects, mm. but uh, okay. So like it's 2016, something, something's clearly going, going wrong within yourself. What, what were the first kind of signs? What, what made you kind of think something's up here? Um, I started basically my left hand started feeling kind of weak and funny. Um, you know, that feeling when you wake up in the morning and your hands, you haven't got the strength in your hands. Mm -hmm. They kind of feel a bit clumsy and, um, so you have a loss of dexterity or when your hands get really cold and you're sort mm -hmm. of like fumbling for you to tie your shoelaces or something when your hands are freezing and you kind and of lose that. At this point, you're, you're still doing the, the metalworking and stuff. So you're working with your hands. And yeah, yeah. So yeah. at that point, I was living in London. I was working for a design studio in the, in the workshop, making models and prototypes and things. And it's all very fiddly, detailed work. Um, and I also did a lot of rock climbing back then. I'd go bouldering a lot. And um, I started noticing that I was losing strength in my left hand my left my my ring finger started it became difficult to extend it um and so it, it was kind of starting to drop so it wasn't like fully extended when my hand was in a relaxed position um and then over the course of six months um that started spreading into other fingers so my thumb i've started finding it difficult to kind of straighten my thumb and my forefinger my wrist started getting weaker um, and I started getting tremors. I can remember like when I was holding a pint glass or something, I would just, my hand would start shaking. So I'd have to put it in the other hand. And so that, that kind of gradually progressed over the course of about six months to the point where I couldn't straighten my wrist. Um, my fingers were like almost completely limp and my left hand I could still kind of like close my fingers, but it was all of the extensor muscles that straighten your fingers. So I couldn't, I didn't have any dexterity. Um, and you I must've been shitting yourself, mate. Like this is it's funny. Cause I've, I've kind of been a lifelong <laughs> hypochondriac, but, um, <laughs> but I, 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 for some reason, this, the actual thing that started going wrong, I, um, I wasn't that worried about it. I, I kind of assumed I had a trapped nerve from, from climbing. Cause I used to do a lot of like, a lot of sort of wrist exercises and all this stuff It's very like hard on your, on your nerves and tendons in your arms when you're climbing. 
so I just assumed I'd I'd trapped a nerve, and I I did get concerned about it. I went to the GP a few times, and they kept just brushing me off and saying, "Oh, it's nothing. Doesn't I'm not really sure. There's nothing really going on here." Um, but as it got worse and worse, I started to panic more, and then I started doing my own research, which was terrifying. And then I can remember one day I was at work. By that at that point, I was working in a fab. Uh, art fabricators so make kind of sculptures and um structural large metal installations and things for artists um and i i can remember i was sitting at the computer and my forearm just started spasming and all i could see all of the muscles in my arm just kind of like twitching under the skin and then i basically had a panic attack um and Yeah, that's when I that's when I became quite terrified because the symptoms that I was having were pretty much identical to motor neuron disease. Um, and what age I started were you? reading about that. Sorry. What age were you at this point? Um, so I'm 30 now, and that was in 2016. So wow. Um, yeah, I, I was very scared and the more research I did, the more scared I got. And then, so I started pushing my GP. I was like, I need to see a neurologist now. Um, and I got, got to see a neurologist and, uh, I was actually really lucky cause I got a diagnosis very quickly. It took about probably three or four months since seeing the neurologist that I got a diagnosis of this It's a very rare autoimmune disease that just affects the, the motor nerves. So it basically the, the the nerve is like a um like an electrical cable and it has insulation and so in my condition the insulation is being attacked by my immune system which causes it to fray and then it stops carrying electrical signals um down the line so the muscles are fine but it's just they they don't receive signal through the nerve so then the muscles will start atrophying um just the, the myelin sheath around that's it exactly the myelin right. sheath okay yeah. so your your body was attacking the myelin sheath that is around your nerves yeah but it's strangely the only that yeah it's only the motor component of the nerve so your nerve carries signals for movement and sensation and my condition only affects the 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 motor components the movement part so i have no sensation loss or anything there's no pain um, the muscle, the, the muscles just basically stopped working. Um, but I, I got a diagnosis very quickly, um, and then had to adjust to that. And I started receiving treatment, a kind of, um, sort of infusion of immunoglobulins, which are human, human white blood cells, which every time I have an infusion, it temporarily reverses my symptoms. So like now my hands that basically um function normally most of the time except when the infusion is wearing off and then i have to go for another one to top it back up so that happens every five weeks currently wow did um, it affect both hands in the end or was it just still in the left yeah it's in it's in both it's in both of my both of my arms now um but i'm i'm extremely optimistic that i'm going to put it into remission 
mm-hmm. because because of the 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 diet and lifestyle things that I've been doing, they yep. have, have a massive effect. Okay, so before before we get there, let, let's um the, the diagnosis. Uh, h- how did that go? Like you you had to push your GP because you know. Well, the, the word G stands for general, right? So there, there's yeah. a red flag. We should all we should all remember that when we go and see our GP. You had to push them to go and see a specialist. And was that specialist uh, like easy to find or was it laid on by the NHS or did you have to go and find something privately? Uh, so that was all through the NHS. Um, and they were amazing, to be honest. Um, a lot of people sort of criticize the NHS and I know um, sort of in the Bitcoin world, a lot of us, myself included, have more kind of libertarian, a more libertarian mindset. <clears throat> um, but it would be wrong of me to um, to kind of dismiss just how amazing they've been for my personal situation. Um <clears throat> And yeah, so I, I, once I, once I got to see the neurologist, I was fast tracked through the system. Um, and I had loads of tests done, MRI scans, like nerve conduction studies, so many blood tests. It was all done very quickly. And I, I, I received an incredible service, um, and managed to get start treatment very, very quickly. Some people bounce around in the system. I think it can be potluck, really. Um, that, some that's what bounce. I was going to ask. Like, um, do, do you think, was that just luck that that person diagnosed your exact thing first time? Yeah, I think so. So the, the first neurologist I saw, she was incredible. She basically guessed correctly straight off the bat. And I've heard horror stories of people who have my, my condition hmm. because it's so rare affects about one in, I think it's 0.5 in a hundred thousand people. So it's very rare. And I've heard people receiving incorrect diagnoses for years, decades. Sometimes they'll first get diagnosed with ALS, which is motor neuron disease. And they'll stay with that diagnosis for years until the neurologist realizes that actually then they, they, it's not quite right because then they should be dead by now. Um, people bounce around getting these wrong diagnoses for, for a really long time. So I was very lucky um, that the, the first neurologist I saw was very sharp. Um, and yeah, so I, I received really good, really good service. <clears throat> so as it stands at the moment um each five weeks you go in and what's, what's that process like you have to be hooked up to some kind of iv or drip or yeah or... basically just sit on a drip for eight hours eight um, hours <laughs> yeah good yeah. god yeah yeah and to begin i i used to i had to have that every i started on every four weeks and then i was just absolutely um by the end it, it would start wearing off really quickly and by three weeks time, I was really struggling. So then I, I had it uh, go down to every three weeks and I was like that for, um, for over a year. And now I'm basically trying to extend it as long as possible. So I'm, my aim is to come off the IVIG completely. 
Um, that, that's my goal. And if I can achieve that, it'll be remarkable because I, I can't find any cases in the medical literature of someone with my condition have it go into complete remission. Um, so that, that's, that's my goal. What is the um, actual name of your condition? It's called multifocal motor neuropathy. Bloody hell, I have to write that down. Multifocal motor neuropathy. Motor neuropathy. Okay. I mean, on the off chance that anybody listening is having these symptoms, then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know that this is good, good advice and, and good insight. Yeah, there's there's a there's a few um, there's a few similar conditions that all kind of come under the same umbrella. Hmm. Um, and I think the the sort of interventions that I've made would be extremely beneficial for anyone with any of any of those. What those are symptoms. they? So, so you mentioned ALS. Yeah. So um, motor neuron disease, multiple sclerosis, um, CIDP, um, any type of autoimmune neuropathy, any type of um, autoimmune condition generally. Um, but specifically ones that affect your nervous system. This is um, crazy. I, I mean, the amount of people, so someone sitting there with MS may even have been misdiagnosed like years ago, and it could be another one of these things or the, like the, the thing you have. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, a lot of these conditions, we have kind of separate names for them, but they're all very similar at the, it's, they're all systemic illnesses, um, which are caused by dysfunctional immune system, which probably has its basis in um, dysfunction of the gut and the gut lining. And they can be triggered by various things, by like viruses and bacterial infections. And in some cases, vaccinations, people get these, um, have an acute reaction to, to those and develop like neurological symptoms. Um, and they can be caused by like heavy metal poisoning and all sorts of things. But um, yeah, if you want to heal yourself, you should start, start looking into gut health, basically. Open the rabbit hole. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how did you start going down? Um, well, obviously, you you you've decided sitting there for every three to five weeks is not an optimal lifestyle, and you want to start healing yourself and falling down the rabbit hole of food and health and nutrition and diet. And was, was gut one of the um, the main things that you found? Yeah, very quickly. So that's the um, the theory behind. I can't remember how I was. Well, it's a very, it's, it's been known since ancient times. Um, I think it was, who's the famous ancient Greek healer philosopher? Is it Hippocrates? Yeah. I think he, he said, heal your gut. That was, that was his thing. All disease kind of starts in the gut. Um, and one of the, one of the ideas behind the paleo diet is that a lot of these modern modern foods that we've only been eating um, since we invented farming. So 
within the last sort of 10,000 years, like grains, seeds, um, dairy products, um, a lot of these things basically disrupt your gut, the lining of your gut, um, which the lining of your gut is very thin. It's only one cell thick and it's a very dynamic membrane because that's how the nutrients from the food have to get into your bloodstream. Um, but there's this idea that a lot of modern foods, we, we basically haven't evolved to, to process these, these modern foods um, and they disrupt the, the gut barrier lining. Um, and so then you start getting proteins and undigested food into your bloodstream, which, uh, leads to a state of sort of generalized inflammation. Your, your immune system starts attacking these, these things in your blood and then can also mistakenly attack itself at the same time. That's the, that's the kind of general idea about it. Um, so that sounded very compelling to me and just the, the kind of evolutionary, framework um the idea that we should the healthiest diet would be the one that we've been eating for the longest period of time the one that we're most uh well adapted to that just that just seems to me that seemed very very early on i realized that that was a kind of a core truth a sort of um a priori thing that i could anchor my my research onto um and then i quickly realized that all of the 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 sort of nutritional science world is just full of just utter like bunk so it's just it's an absolute shit show like it's just based it's based on nothing it's all just based on it, it's there's just so many lies and um well, when your incentive structure is fiat currency, what do you expect, right? That's uh, that's where yeah, it all stems it, from, isn't it? Exactly. They're all trying to 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 sell something because the incentives yeah. are to make money, which uh, we're constantly chasing because it's yeah. always losing value. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. So you realize that uh, that's all a load of bunk. Yeah, well, actually, I, I think it took me it took me a long time to realize that because mm -hmm. back then I didn't have any, I wasn't a very good critical thinker. Um, I didn't have, I hadn't have had my critical thinking sharpened. Um, I never thought to ask the question, how do we know this? How, how can we know that? So whenever you, whenever you see something presented as a scientific truth, you have to ask, well, how, how how did we come to know that um how was this was there a, does this information come from a study how was that study designed um what are the limitations of it etc cetera, etc cetera. and with sort of physics and maths we can do that because the answers are very clear <clears throat> but with nutrition it's very hard to it's very hard to 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 design studies for nutrition um, just because, because we eat so many things, there's always so many confounding factors and it's very difficult to prove causation from correlation. Um, and so it's, so all of our nutritional advice comes from these correlational 
um, like epidemiological studies and which might have worked for one person right but then it all becomes truth because ah it worked for that person therefore vis-a-vis it's going to work for alex too which is complete nonsense because we're all completely unique yeah i think there's i think we we are we are all unique and we have well but i think there's kind of I think there's core, um, especially with, with when it comes to diet, there's core um, biological facts that apply to everyone. Um, and I think when it comes to what, what we individually can and should digest, I think we have varying degrees of tolerance towards certain foods. But that doesn't mean that those foods are good for us. I think it's a, so my, my kind of main philosophy that I've arrived at or main kind of framework is that the animal foods are the most nutritious and the most bioavailable and they have the least, um, the least amount of disruptive toxins in them, which are, which are going to, to damage you. So they're kind of the safest foods to eat. And they're the most bioavailable, the, mo- the most nutritious. And then I think everything else, all of the plant foods, um, we have kind of varying degrees of tolerance to them. But I think generally, they sort of evolutionarily speaking, they would have been fallback foods. So they would have been foods um, that got us out of a pinch in situations where for some reason there weren't uh, there wasn't an abundance of animal meat and fat um that that's that's my my belief i think it makes so much sense though doesn't it i mean it is you don't even really need to dig any further than that if you look at uh how our species evolved and so let's get back to the gut so we've got this one cell layer um, sheath around our gut, which is there to, um, that that's what all of the nutritional kind of things in our diets, they need to cross that barrier. So if we're harming that barrier, breaking down that barrier, all kinds of shit is entering our bloodstream. Yeah. So how do we fix the barrier for those people that are listening, thinking, Hmm. Well, so firstly, I'm not, I have no, no medical background whatsoever. So I'm, I'm just, um, so we trust you more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So this is just stuff I've learned and I might be wrong. Um, and there's clearly a huge, there's, there's so much that we don't know about this Mm -hmm. and needs to be, needs to be studied. But I think, uh, from, from what I've learned and from my personal experience, so if you want to heal your gut, you should eliminate basically all plant foods because the plant foods contain chemicals which disrupts your, the lining of your gut, the, the, the barrier function. Because um, plants have evolved, because plants can't run away from their predators, they have, they've evolved complex um 
they're basically little like chemical factories that produce various chemicals to uh, prevent themselves from being eaten. Um, of course, some parts of the plant want to be eaten, like the fruit. Uh, they've kind of evolved to be enticing sugary things that attract, attract people so that they or attract animals to eat the fruit to then disperse the seeds. But the seeds, the seeds don't want to be eaten. Um, anyway, um, so for instance, like caffeine um, in coffee is a chemical that we all know about. That that's a basically an insecticide, which the the plant has evolved to protect the bean to stop it being eaten, um, and so it has a powerful biological effect. Um, and yeah, we, we, we haven't evolved the tools for breaking down these chemicals. And so they disrupt the, the, the gut barrier function. Um, and there's, there's so many different types of chemicals in loads of different plants. Um, but they tend to be more concentrated in seeds and beans. Um, so things like pulses and legumes, they're full of lots of different chemical compounds like lectins, which are, I mean, there's loads of studies which have proven that these compounds damage the gut. This isn't like just sort of speculation. Um, and for instance, in wheat, gluten, there's this compound in, in wheat called zonulin, which is kind of, I think it acts like a hormone and it basically increases, um, it makes the gut much more porous. Um, so it, it, it's a, it's a signaling compound, which signals for the, um, the gut lining cells to basically like open up. Um, and there's similar things in, in dairy products as well. Um, because with, with dairy, um, I think for a baby or an infant animal consuming dairy, there's a, the dairy contains a lot of um, um, immune products from, from the mother, which is designed to um, basically act as Locked a kind up. of surrogate immune system for the, for the infant while it's growing. Mm -hmm. And so there's compounds in the dairy, which open up the, open up the lining of the gut to allow these immune um, immunoglobulin into the, into the bloodstream of the baby. So there's by design, it's actually designed to make the gut more permeable. Um, because in a baby that's only consuming its mother's milk, it's safe to do that. But when, when, if you're consuming foods, other foods, um, which have stuff that shouldn't be getting into your, into your bloodstream and it's, it's more damaging. So anyway, there's lots of, there's lots of these, these compounds in foods, which disrupt your, your gut barrier function. And so firstly, you should just like cut out all of those. And basically the only foods that don't, don't damage actively damage your gut are basically meat and meat and fat from animals. Um, and these foods also contain all the building blocks that we need to repair for our bodies to, to heal themselves. So it's basically you remove the irritants and supply only the nutritious stuff. So, um, 
And then there's particular types of uh, meat-based foods, which are particularly healing for the gut. So things like broth, mm -hmm. um, broth and yeah, like chicken, chicken broth, all the gelatin and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of the amino acids in there are sort of directly absorbed by the gut and used, it uses it to repair itself. Um, so yeah, cut out all the, the vegetables, um, which are mostly a scam and, uh, and. <laughs> but Alex, we're supposed to be going vegan. Yeah, I know. Well, well the, the thing about like the, uh, the, the irritants in the food, in the, in the plants, again, it just makes complete sense when, when it, when somebody explains it to you, and I know Safe has talked about this a lot, and there's some other guys in the, uh, in the space well-known um, for, you know, uh, moving towards the, the carnivore diet, Bitstein is another. Uh, the, when you talk about the irritants in the vegetables, uh, which are being released because, like you say, they're trying to protect themselves, we've also got to then layer on top of that the irritants from the pesticides or whatever else has been sprayed over these vegetables uh, to keep them, um, you know, pest-free or to improve yield or to keep them fresh or ripe during transportation. There is so much shit in this stuff alongside the already natural irritants within the vegetables. That it, it's crazy. It's no, it's no wonder that people are suffering with inflammation. Yeah. And, gut. and then combine that yeah. with a sort of dysfunctional modern lifestyle as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, like being completely stressed the whole time. You're on the hamster wheel. Uh, yeah, it's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I actually think so. I've said a lot of bad stuff about veg vegetables, but I think a lot of vegetables are delicious. And I think they probably don't cause a lot of people, maybe most people, they don't cause them a huge amount of distress and they, they can probably tolerate them. It's a, it's a question of tolerance. But mm -hmm. I think a combination of our modern lifestyles and toxic exposure and like chronic stress and all of these things can basically lead an individual's body to, to crack basically and start malfunctioning. Um, like mine did and many others, so many people are suffering with autoimmune disease now. Mm. I think for those people, um, vegetables are basically toxic mm. um, but a lot of other people can tolerate them and can enjoy them I mean obviously we've been eating we've been eating vegetables for, for hundreds of years and you get people that have lived to their lived into their hundreds and they, they like the same kind of things every day just simple food and they probably have tolerated the vegetables and the plant foods quite well through their life, but they haven't been exposed to, to all of this other stuff that, yeah, or exactly. they may have a particularly strong constitution. Or they've grown um, it themselves or it's come from just down the street. You know, this is, you know, when, yeah, when, exactly, people, yeah. when people like would point out, well, look at the Mediterranean diet and blah, blah, blah. Like people live to a hundred or, you know, the Japanese or yeah, they're growing their own shit guys <laughs> yeah yeah they're not dependent and, on like the monsanto sprayed bullshit that uh, we're picking up in our plastic bags in in the supermarkets and yeah. taking back to our you know two-bedroom apartment in a in a tower block in a city 
you know, that this yeah. is a disaster. Like that, yeah. that there's no way that um, you, you can't compare those two diets. Yeah. And, and lifestyle, I think, plays a huge part. Mm -hmm. Chronic stress. Um, yeah, because a lot of these, these people in the Mediterranean famously smoke and drink wine um, yep. every day. Yep. And they live into, live into their... They'll also lay in the sun for an hour a day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll go and swim in the, in the salt water for, for like 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And they have a completely different level of stress. Yeah. So uh, as well, when, when it comes to, to choosing your meat, right, you, you still got to be, it can't just be a conscious decision, right, throw away all the, uh, all the veg, let's just go meat only. But if that meat has been mistreated or has been eating shit, which has been pushed on industrial farming, so they're eating like uh, corn that has all the same bullshit in it, that uh, is still causing you gut problems, then that you, you're not going to find a difference. You're going to have to go find some grass-fed animal products or what, I mean, what else? I mean, it's generally, what are we looking at here? Beef, chicken, lamb, duck in our region. Uh, pork. What, or is this, where do you advise? Or you, you found like a, one particular meat works for you or any as long as they're they're good quality and they haven't been pumped full of hormones and um, pesticide food so i i mostly eat red meat beef and lamb primarily sometimes pork um and sometimes chicken i like chicken broth um i think with say in the uk we're quite lucky because the standard of farming is quite high even with so specifically with beef and lamb, most beef and lamb in the UK is primarily grass-fed. Um, they may get some um, feed in the winter months, but generally it's on generally it's on grass for most of its life. I think I think that's true for most of the beef and lamb. Um, pork is a different matter because pork is 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 difficult to find high quality pork. Um, you can get it, but because pigs are basically fed, most of their most of their feed is grown elsewhere, so they're not foraging. Um, so there's a much kind of um, it, basically it's hard to get really good pork. Uh, it is possible, but it's hard. Um, but I, to be honest, I I think any meat is going to be better for you than um basically if you're on a really tight budget and you can't afford to buy everything grass grass fed and grass finished and whatever um i think you're still going to get a lot of benefit from going meat only but i try well i buy the best quality that i can and it's mostly for like flavor as much as anything there's there's such a there's such a range of quality of flavor that you get from from low quality to high quality meat and the, and the way that it's um, butchered and the way that it's hung as well afterwards has, um, cause I, I really enjoy my food. So I want it to be as flavorful as possible. Um, and I think there's probably a correlation between the levels of flavor that you get in high quality meat and its nutritional status as well. Um, 
And for the broth, so, yeah, it's, I, it's very easy to go and speak to a local butcher and just ask for some bones, right? They'll probably give them to you free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, broth. Um, yeah, for making broth. Um, yeah, people always say, oh, your diet must be really expensive, but I can, I can eat really cheaply. Um, I've actually, I've got a friend who, um, he, he breeds greyhounds. And so he, he goes directly to the abattoir and um buys a load of basically like unbutchered sort of untrimmed cuts just like big chunks of meat all sort of human consumption stuff but he he buys it directly from the abattoir to feed his dogs because he he feeds them a raw meat diet um mostly and so he picks stuff up for me and i get you can buy like a beef heart like an enormous heart several kilos for less than a pound and this is all like grass, grass fed, grass fed beef. Um, so if you, when you buy the cheaper cuts, you can get it, you can get it really cheap if you're kind of creative. And um, uh, do, do you cook the heart just as a steak? I've tried it that way and it's delicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, you have to, um, I like to cook it. It's really good on the barbecue, like really hot. Cook it really fast. It's very, it's very fine grained meat. Um, when you trim off all of the kind of sinewy, um tough bits it's really that's good. another thing people are gonna have to get used to right getting back to back to butchery <laughs> yeah 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 well I, I love all that stuff um i've always been into food and like food processing and um especially since i've got into all this nutritional stuff like when i was doing more of a paleo diet i'd make lots of fermented foods and um it's just it's nice to um I enjoy like the connection, learning about uh, how food is processed and all that stuff. Um, what about fish for those guys that are listening, thinking, hmm, can I get away with just going to fish rather than, uh, than meat if they want to interest um, I think you, I think fish is harder because it's harder to get really good quality fish. Um, for instance, salmon is salmon's a kind of favorite fish, but most salmon is farmed. Most of the salmon in, in the UK is, is farmed. And I think that is really bad for, uh, I think it's really bad for the environment as much as anything. You see all these horrible pictures of uh, salmon farms um, and they're fed all sorts of crap. I think if you're eating wild fish, um, you could probably have a more heavily fish based diet and be okay. But you've got, I think you've got to watch out for heavy metals. A lot of fish has got really high levels of um, mercury in it. And so that can build up in your system. I think it's diff different types of fish have different, um, are more susceptible to being contaminated depending on what those fish eat and where they come from. Um, but we yeah, have to get the rods out, plebs. We're going to have to yeah, go fishing yeah. the rivers ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. I've actually, I've not, I've not come across any uh, fishermen bitcoiners. That would be a really interesting pod. So if anyone's listening and uh, you're casting a rod out there and, and gutting and killing your own fish and, and grilling them up, that would be uh, an interesting, interesting pod. Well, mate, that that's um, that's incredible. So you've done all of this. 
and you have noticed a difference with your hands, right? Uh, you, this this oh, is yeah. this is the goal, right? To get off of the the five weekly, eight hour IV drip. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was I was, uh, I from the beginning I was dissatisfied with the solution to my condition being this, um, having this treatment for the rest of my life. Um, because it's just it's basically just a, a it's, it's just sort of papering over the cracks really it's just symptom management it's not addressing the underlying thing the underlying um the sort of root cause and so it just didn't strike me as a uh um a sort of holistic solution and so that's why i started doing all the the diet and lifestyle stuff yeah and i, I noticed a massive difference i i can very reliably induce weakness in my arms now if i stray from my diet in certain ways um and some some so i can reliably make my hands feel weak and less dexterous particularly when i'm getting towards the end of my treatment if i overeat protein um which probably sounds surprising because i've been talking about meat all the time but um, so the diet I follow is quite specific. It's a keto, it's a highly ketogenic version of a, of a carnivore diet. Um, so I'm eating a lot of fat and only mod moderate levels of protein. Um, and if I overeat the protein, I will, I'll start getting muscle spasms in my arm. I'll lose dexterity. Uh, and it also just makes me feel less good in lots of ways. Like, uh, my sleep will be much much poorer if i overeat the protein so i'm really prioritizing fat right okay so okay ketogenic let's uh let's go down that little rabbit hole for those people that might not be uh, up to speed on what that means yeah so ketosis nutritional ketosis is when your body switches from burning glucose as its primary fuel source to burning fat um so this, all of the cells in your body have to get their energy from somewhere or they produce, they, they get their energy from a fuel source. Um, and humans can basically run on kind of two, two, we're a dual fuel organism. So we can either run on carbohydrate in the form of glucose or on fatty acids and ketones. Uh, so your body has a, it has a preference for glucose in the sense that if you eat carbohydrates, your body will run off carbohydrates over fat. But if you deprive your body of carbohydrates, you force it to switch into the fat burning mode. Um, and so if you don't eat, if you don't eat any carbs, your body will start digesting fat. And so in the absence of dietary fat, you'll start processing your body fat. Because your body fat is a is basically a battery. It's your it's your energy source. Because we can't we can't store any amount of carbohydrate in our body um, as carbs. You can store a small amount in the liver and in the muscles. Um, but that, that will last less than a day under normal kind of 
normal activity levels. <clears throat> um, and so when I say that the body has a preference for glucose, that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for it. It just means that it will burn it first. Um, so if you're, if you're overeating carbohydrates, um, your body will start converting that carbohydrate into fat and storing it as fat on your body. Anyway, when you, when you, when you go into ketosis, you're not eating the carbs and you're burning fat. So all of the fat you eat, you're, you're basically like, um, you become more like a candle. You're, you're burning, you're, you're burning fatty acids in your muscles. So your muscles will be supplied with fatty acids for energy. Um, and your liver will start producing ketones. Um, and, um, it, your liver also produces a small amount of glucose, uh, for your brain and other vital organs. Um, and that's why we have a kind of our blood sugar sort of stays within a range because our, our, our liver will, um, basically produce all the glucose that you need. So you, you basically don't need to, you don't need any sugar or glucose or carbohydrate from your diet to, to, to function. Um, and I think you could make a clear case um, by saying that for most of our, our evolutionary history, we will have mostly been burning fat as our primary energy source. Because when you look around in the landscape, particularly in somewhere like Northern Europe, there just isn't any carbohydrate food sources that are readily available that occur naturally in the landscape. There's just, you, you might find a few small root tubers and stuff like that, um, but there's nothing that would really be able to sustain us with our energy needs, particularly in, in, in an ice age. The only, the only food that would have been available would have been animal fat, big, big fatty animals like mammoths. Um, so yeah, when you're, when you're in ketosis, um, you're running on fat and it allows you to go a lot longer between meals. It keeps your blood sugar very, very stable. Um, and it's a, it puts your body into a very anti, it reduces inflammation in your body. So the ketones that circulate in your bloodstream have an anti-inflammatory effect and they're very neuroprotective. They're very, very good for your brain and for your nervous system. And that's probably why it's so beneficial for people with autoimmune disease. And it's very, it's people, very effective. And for people for, who just want to lose weight, right? For those yeah, people exactly. That, um... Yeah. So, so keto, the kind of keto diet is um, extremely popular for, for just for weight loss, weight loss generally. Um, it's because just cutting, it, it, yeah. cutting any sugar, any carbs, and just moving to uh, fatty meat, which for, for some people is a very, very difficult jump to make because they associate fat with being fat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that people have been scared off of fat, but fat is a, 
if anything is a um a superfood saturated animal fat is one of them because yeah it's, it's kind of paradoxical but the more saturate the higher the concentration of the saturated fat in your diet that actually leads to more weight loss uh, in a lot of people it's when they eat more polyunsaturated fats that they start um, especially when those are combined with carbohydrates um, we might find in the breakfast cereals such as muesli and all the other stuff that yeah, we've been yeah. told we should eat to lose weight yeah exactly yeah Such um, bullshit. But when when you just sit like i eat so much fat you wouldn't believe it i eat like 150 200 grams of fat a day and i don't have any body fat on me um and and so like, you'll get that through um through like uh like doing broth I, i'm sure you're not just sitting down and you know tucking in with a knife and fork into a pile of jellied fat it, there'll be a different way that uh that you're getting it no i, li I literally do that oh, you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay. uh, often yeah so um i eat a lot so i prefer to eat kind of fatty cuts of meat mm -hmm. um but most a lot of the meat you buy isn't itself really fatty so I'll, I'll add supplemental fat so i have my so a, a, for me a staple i just eat minced minced beef ground beef for mm -hmm. people in the us um i eat a lot of that and i'll add like 150 grams of either suet so i'll get big blocks of like raw suet um from the butcher and I'll just cut that up into little tiny cubes and sometimes I fry it, sometimes I eat it raw. I eat a lot of bone marrow. I really like pork fat. Pork, I think pork fat is the most delicious. Mm. Um, so I'll go to the Hungarian food shop and I'll buy like a big slab of uh, smoked salted pork back fat. It's basically like a two inch chunk of fat from the back of the pig and they smoke it and you and salt it and you can slice it really thin it's a delicacy so it's a delicacy in um in italy they have lardo they, they take the the back fat from the pig and they cure it in these marble boxes with salt and spices and you slice it really thin and it's this delicious like fat that just kind of melts in your mouth um so i eat a lot of stuff like that and yeah bone marrow i think i said that um and then I make one. my own make my own tallow or beef dripping. So yeah, I'll get these big blocks of suet and then render it all down. Yep. Uh, and I'll just eat chunks of that because that's once you once you get into ketosis, you start craving fat. Your body mm -hmm. knows what it wants. Um, and yeah, I I just eat so much fat, and I I really I I never used to like fat before I started eating this. I know. Well, I used to be. A lot of people are kind of disgusted by by large quantities of fat yes, but it's are. amazing how your your cravings change once your body switches into this fat burning mode yeah they're very afraid of that um of the gristle or the um they find it too greasy uh the the, the taste is too um too strong maybe uh it's a bit uh, the texture as well can be a problem for, for some people like that gelatin or that just that kind of film on your tongue 
for me, I love it. You know, I can't get enough of it. You know, ribeye is obviously uh, the, the, the favorite cut. We, we get here in France, we get uh, Cote de Boeuf. So then you get the bone on as well. So when you cook it, you can save the bone and then use that for the broth um, afterwards. Uh, but it's always me that's like trimming off the fat and eating that bit because, yeah, I, I love it. Um, especially yeah, yeah. when it's got a little bit caramelized as well. That's where the flavor is. Uh, if you yeah, get yeah. a if you get a a fatless cut like a filet uh, filet mignon, um, I just find that where's the taste? Like there isn't any because you don't have the the, the layer of fat around it or running through it. Yeah, yeah. I never eat, I never eat that stuff. It's all about the cheap cuts for me. Mm. Um, and and lamb the same you know delicious you can get uh, like saddle of lamb for example would be a, a beautiful fatty cut of uh of lamb yeah 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 breast of lamb is a great cheap one yeah all it's right so fatty and really really cheap and you can just roast it in the oven get a nice crispy skin on it it's delicious and for those listening, if you are going to uh, insist on having some little roast potatoes or something, homegrown roast potatoes with that <laughs> alongside, use that fat, right? We, we, we live in duck land here in France, so I always render down, when I make the, the duck breast, I render down the duck fat, and then we use that to cook the, the vegetables with. And uh, Yeah, they're, well, they're animal fats would have been, stat- that's what people used as fat. I, I know you had the really tan man on. Yeah. talking about seed oils recently yeah um yeah those are all a sort of modern invention all of our ancestors would have cooked in in animal fats and they're just so much more stable for cooking and so much more delicious in every way and um, heals your body and helps you yeah, lose yeah. weight like this is the, um again we've been we've been led a merry story uh with these uh nutritionists and um follow the science mate always remember yeah Yeah. i think there's there's definitely a kind of sort of sea change a lot of people are starting to wake up to it i mean this Mm -hmm. whole movement of turning back towards more traditional animal foods um and the sort of carnivore diet and the kind of keto diet is definitely a growing movement which is pushing back against the sort of also are you growing. Saying, are, you, are, you, are you insinuating, Alex, that globally forced and coerced vaccine uptakes have pushed people completely the opposite way here? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, there's something there. It's you the know? pendulum swing, swinging back, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps they just overstepped the line a little bit this time and have woken up too many people, especially those people that have been damaged by you know the vaccine and have now got to concentrate on fixing themselves yeah 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 there's definitely a sort of a growing sort of holistically minded um sort of health movement i think and it's definitely seeped into the uh the bitcoiners uh, or we were well like you you were already in that rabbit hole before you come to Bitcoin. Uh, you yeah, know, it's interesting. This, I see the same with education. I, I'd already gone down the, the alternative education route before I found yeah. Bitcoin. So I was primed to find Bitcoin because I'd seen, I'd lifted the curtain on the education system and seen what a freaking scam that was and, and how it all been indoctrinated to, to certain 
biases all around the world and you know forced to act in certain ways and how damaging it was and you were woken up to you know your your circumstances that's what primes people for bitcoin and it's really interesting that when when we come in we're open-minded because i've seen scams and bullshit elsewhere so why wouldn't i look at, at this one as well uh, so it's uh, really interesting but let's talk about like um what what we started talking about with, with lauren how you've managed to mix your passion of metalworking with Bitcoin. Because again, people will be like, huh, what? how can you do that? That's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so I guess go, going through all this sort of illness thing, um, it's really made me value my hands a, a kind of anew and like what I can do yep. creativ- creatively. Um, and... Yeah, I just I just became so obsessed with Bitcoin. Um, I I was I've always I've been looking out for a kind of something I can do some way of like linking my my metalworking and my design skills to um, to create something some sort of Bitcoin related thing. Um, and so when I was setting up my my wallet, my cold storage and everything. And I wanted to sort of get rid of the crappy paper card with my seed phrase on it. And I wanted to engrave that somehow into metal to make a more permanent backup. Um, that's when I started thinking about better ways of doing that. And I saw there was the, um, the 3D printed like block mitt, which is like the little jig for, for stamping your, um, your seed phrase into washers. I really, I really liked the the washer stack of washer seed phrase kind of protocol. I guess you can call it, just because it's so neat. Um, and the, I think there's just so many benefits of of recording your seed in that way. Uh, so I just set about designing a better version of the the plastic block mitt. Um, because I really like tools. I really like designing. So in my workshop, I design and make a lot of my own tools and machines and things. And there's something about the process of figuring out jigs, making jigs for things that I just, I find. What are jigs? So a jig is basically like, it's a tool for um, directing your. So a jig is a kind of general term for. It's a type of tool which uh, directs another tool um, for cutting or marking or whatever in some way. So basically, uh, so a jig. So. You probably, ha- if you want to drill a hole in a tile, you need a tile drilling jig. And it's basically like a little tool that um, you stick onto the tile and then it has a little hole in it, which just directs your drill bit. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tool for kind of directing another tool. It's a kind of um, general way of destri- describing a jig. But often when you're doing any sort of metalworking process, um, you have to design a lot of jigs for doing certain things because metal was very hard and uh, 
difficult to manipulate just kind of freehand. So, um, so you have to use a lot of jigs. So anyway, I've designed this jig for stamping your seed phrase um, onto washers. Um, and the jig is basically for spacing out the stamps. Um, because if you, so if you have a washer and you want to use a metal stamp with, with letters on the end to stamp your, your word into the washers, it's hard to kind of line up the, um, each stamp neatly on the washer. Um, and it's hard to, yeah, to do that freehand and get a neat looking product. And obviously because your seed phrase is so critical, the way you record it has to be legible and you have to be absolutely sure that it's neat and you haven't spelt it wrong and all of these things you need you, is it is a kind of critical operation you need to be very sure that you've done it right and neatly um so you can be you can feel safe and secure that you're your stack is is well protected and backed up. Um, so explain what one so, of these things looks like. You, you, you've got a, a washer, and on the washer, each washer, you would stamp one of your seed phrases, yeah? Yeah. One of your seed so, words. Um, so this is a stack of washers. So for people listening, it's basically 24 washers uh, on a bolt with a <laughs> nut on the end. So it's just a very tidy kind of sort of um, it's almost like a sort of capsule. What would you, how would you describe it? Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. it just looks like a, a small little metal cylinder. Yeah. So it's just a great way of storing your, your seat. So on each, each washer, you have one word from your seed phrase. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this is the this is the kind of prototype, the seed jig, I call it. So basically, it's I'll try and describe it because um, you don't have. Do you publish the video to this? I I, I could do. I, yeah, for for this one, I could just put it up on YouTube. So go ahead and show it. Yeah. So you have three different components. So there's the base part, which. I call the anvil because it acts like an anvil. Um, so this is what your washer sits on. So it's basically a um, kind of puck of solid steel. It's about one inch high and it's about three inches in diameter. Um, and it's got a hole down the middle and it's got a load of holes around the edge, um, which are like the position holes for each letter of the, the stamp. Um, I don't know if this is going to make any, to it, any sense to anyone who's just listening to it. But anyway, so this is, this is the base component. So on top of that, you put your washer. Yep. So this is a stainless steel washer, and it's... Um, 24 millimeters in diameter and it's got an eight millimeter hole and then that sits on top of the anvil and then there's this pin 
which is like a locking pin. And that gets pushed into the anvil and it clicks in place. It's kind of sprung loaded. So now we've got a washer, which has been kind of pegged down into the anvil and that can't rotate because the, um, the locking pin is kind of pushing down. And then on top of that, we have the brass part, which is called the indexer. And then that sits on top of the lock pin and rotates and it locks into various positions. Yeah. Um, and then it's got a square hole in it. And then the square hole is just big enough to fit in one of these letter punches. I don't know if you can see that. So yep. you can buy these letter punches. You just get them off of Amazon or somewhere. And they're used for stamping words into metal. And so you get a full alphabet. And then you use these to basically stamp the washer. So that you'll sit this on a table and use a hammer. And so you, you hit the stamp, rotate it to the next position, put the next letter in, stamp it. Rotate it. Okay. Rotate it. Are there enough rotations for the full word or are some words going to be, uh, you know, like five out of seven letters or something? Uh, so there's eight eight positions so you can have an eight letter word as your mm -hmm. maximum word length and the longest word in the bit bit 39 word list is eight letters so so you're done okay so you're done and then you've got two number positions as well so you can so you you label each washer with the number so one to 24 and then the word as well um but you actually only need to use the first four letters of of each word. Uh, I think that's sufficient for backing up, but you can use all eight if you want to. Um, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to design this for myself really, because um, I wanted to make, I, I like doing things neatly and properly. And I think when you're trying to do a job, there's often a, in my head, the job, when I'm trying to do a job, to me, the job always presents a way of doing it properly. It's like there's a right way to do this, and then there's all of the, the the kind of bodge ways. And sometimes it's good to bodge stuff, but I think when you're recording your seed phrase, um, you want to do it right and you want to do it neatly. And there's also something kind of ritualistic about it, um, and having a specific tool for the job. Um, it just feels nice. And this, this, I'm really, I'm really proud of this thing that I've designed because it's just really nice to use. It's just, it's just all very. Um, when, when tiny. did you, um, when did you get it all together and kind of uh, release it? Uh, we, we can send people to the the website, of course, and they can go and see. If they're not going to watch this on YouTube, it's all, all the pictures here are on the website. Just seedjig.com. That's uh, seedjig.com. Uh, when yeah, did you uh, go live with it? Uh, I think it was about a month ago now, um, maybe slightly longer. So I've, I've made, I've made loads of prototypes. I've been working on this for ages. Mm 
Right. Uh, and there's been a full kind of design development process. I've like gone down lots of different design routes. Um, and then I got this design together that I'm happy with. And I basically want to, I'm, I'm, I'm mass producing them now. So I'm, I'm making them in, I say mass producing, but I'm making them in small batches mm-hmm. um, to sell. And yeah, so this is the, this is the, the design that I'm happy with. And I'm, I'm currently producing the first, the first small batch. Um, and you can pre-order, you can pre-order them on the website. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just having a look now. So yeah, you can pre-order. It's uh, 165 pounds. Um, we'll be able to ship globally. What have you tackled? Yeah, yeah, that? I'm shipping, yeah. shipping globally. Uh, and you can pay with Bitcoin on the website. So this, this was just an amazing thing for me because right. I've been trying to think of a way to, uh, yeah, to sort of just give something of value back to the, the Bitcoin community and like produce something of value, um, and produce something meaningful, uh, with my hands. Um, and I, th- I so I think when I first got into Bitcoin, I was, I was like trading a lot and I've gone on a full kind of, uh, the sort of hero's journey of, of the trader who uh, gets wrecked and then um, decides not to do that anymore. And then this is kind of um, me trying to produce something of value, trying to, trying to actually produce something. Like anyone that's kind of got into trading just knows how much of a horrible time sink it is and stressful and how like antithetical it is to sort of creative activity. Um, and so I found that, um, doing that was just, not only was it losing me money, um, but it was also destroying my creativity. Like it was distracting me from my true purpose, I guess. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, I was, I've, I've been looking for a way of like some, something I can, um, something I can make and produce and, and sell to, to the Bitcoin community for Bitcoin. That was just a kind of like, uh, coming up with this thing was a sort of revelation and there was something kind of, um, don't want to get too sort of woo woo about it, but it was a kind of like a, a healing thing for me as well, like producing something of value. Like, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Uh, look, we love woo-woo in the Bitcoin land. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, and that's, that's one thing, right? You, you, you get to a point where all of a sudden uh, it all starts clicking for you. And the first thing you want to do is add value back to the community. Uh, and so yeah, that's it. finding a way to do that, and there's different ways in which people can and w- in which people do and that, you know, writing, podcasting, you know, making YouTube videos, whatever it is, physical design, like you've done. Uh, it's all, it's all welcomed in, in all ways. Uh, it's, it's just great to see so many people when they have that moment, when they, when they launch whatever it is they're doing. And it's just like, yes, another one. Uh, I, I, I get so bullish when I see that. I get bullish when I see tweets like just left the fiat job. 
because Bitcoin's got to that magic point for them. It's like, right now I've managed to, because I know that person now is going to be freed up to do something, give them a couple of months and they're going to come back to the community with their uh, kind of value add and their idea and their creation. And it's just, I mean, this is the network effect at play. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing to find a group of people that um, place such a high value on creativity and value creation. It's just very positive. I, I can't, it's very rare that you find those qualities in any kind of group of people. Um, and those, yeah, the Bitcoin community just kind of champions those like, like no other, I think. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, it truly is. And, and being at the conference uh, last month, uh, the, like the artwork, the art exhibition there was huge. Like there's so many people being inspired by so many different things and thinking of different ways. Uh, how can, like you, you, your, your example is put, how can I do something physical? That's what the artists are thinking as well. How can I yeah, bring my feelings of Bitcoin and what it's meant to me into a physical piece of, of artwork? Yeah. It's the it's the the power of the proof of work meme, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and actually, the best response I've had from uh, sort of talking about this C jig thing is just people talking about how much they loved seeing the whole the whole kind of behind the scenes process. Because when I first posted about it on Twitter, I showed loads of my design development and sort of failed experiments and places where I'd sort of changed direction. And people love that um, because it is, it's just eye-opening. And I, I think sort of beyond the Bitcoin community, I think people generally love that. They're attracted to the, the whole kind of proof of work because you, you see the success of YouTube channels um, of like various craftspeople or whatever kind of, um, skill they're involved in when they're talk when they're sort of demonstrating the whole process like proving all of the work behind behind the creation people are just enthralled by that and they find it very meaningful and interesting to 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 see and to learn about and 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 it just kind of fosters an appreciation of things generally so i think there's a whole that's a People love that, love that stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a, a kind of um, a growing trend because it's another kind of like uh, antidote to the fiat system, which is all about uh, producing cheap crap, basically, that we don't need. Cheap crap or the other like you know television like we you know, keeping up with the kardashians for example like where's the proof of work there like, who the hell are these people where did they come from why are they famous this is crap turn it off like you know it's just nonsense but uh, are you going to be going along to the um the bitcoin adventure yeah i am yeah yeah, yeah. so you're going to be there in avon valley right okay cool because we're going to go along as well so it'd be great to actually see the uh the the seed jig in action will, will people be able to buy it from you if they're if they're heading over there yes yeah so i'll i'll have some for sale hopefully i'm not sure how many 
Um, this first batch, I'm, I'm doing a batch of 100, but it's kind of staggered. So um, because I'm doing most of the work myself now, basically it's, it's been a bit of a nightmare. Um, it's basically the worst time to start designing and producing a metal product because just the things that are happening in the markets are absolutely crazy. Like I had such a hard time getting the steel I needed because most of the most of this particular type of steel was made in a in a mill in Ukraine. Um, so I had to call up like seven different companies all over the country to try and find some. Uh, and like prices are just fluctuating like crazy. Um, and it's been very difficult establishing sort of new relationships with engineering firms. So in the end, I decided to take control of it myself and I'm, I'm basically manufacturing most of it myself. There's just a couple of operations that I'm getting done externally. So all of those bits I'm getting done externally, I'm getting a batch of a hundred made because it's not cost effective to get an, a company to um, make any smaller, any smaller quantities just because of the, the nature of um, manufacturing. Um, but then everything else I'm making myself, I'm doing in a smaller initial batch of 36. So, uh, yeah, long story short, I will have some for sale, but I'm not sure how many because they might all have sold out by then. But maybe right. I'll have moved on to the next batch. We'll see. But I'll definitely have some kind of demonstration piece. All right, perfect. Well, I'm hoping if I, if I can pick one up, I'll be allowed to carry it through customs and they, they won't take it off me at Stanford. <laughs> yeah, you, you, should, you should be fine. Then. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, so yeah, just to, if people are in the uk or can travel to the uk that that is the btc adventure it's going on in avon valley which isn't too far from you right is it uh yeah it's, it's really close yeah in somerset so right so yeah quick shield for the guys all right mate final question if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to and why ah uh, it's, it's a good one i been thinking about this kind of want to think of some sort of influential figure uh who's who's going to have a massive effect on the rest of the world like oh would it be jerome powell or someone like that um but i think that the incentives for them are so badly warped even if they were orange pilled it wouldn't make any difference um because they're a slave to their the incentive structures that surround them so i think on a personal level it, it would probably just be my mate one of my mates who is kind of on the cusp of getting it like i know in the past he's definitely bought some um but someone who i respect and admire who hasn't quite hasn't quite gone down the the full rabbit hole um but it would mean a lot to me personally if 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 he if he kind of un, kind of understood it like like i do Bring him along. Yeah, Bring him along to uh, Avon Valley. Let's let's uh, help you out. Let's help you out with uh, with his rabbit hole journey. Yeah, <laughs> you can lead a horse to water. That's the yeah. thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, mate. Well, is there uh, anything else that um, we needed to cover or you wanted to talk about whilst we were uh, here? Um, I don't think so. No, it's been it's been a joy to uh, to chat with you. So thanks very much for having me on. Mate, it's been uh, it's been great to to get to know you. Thanks for all the information um, about your personal journey there, uh, and uh, you know, 
on behalf of everybody that's listening, fingers crossed that uh, you can, you know, get your get yourself off that IV drip with, you know, self healing. Uh, keep us up to date. It'd be great to um, great to you know perhaps swing it back around once you have done that. And um, any further things that you found through dietary beneficial uh, you know practices and stuff like that. So appreciate you um, you sharing the story. Yeah, no, I like being open about that because uh, it, it helps people. I think if, yeah, I've, I've got so much benefit from reading other people's stories of like personal, uh, personal healing and um, anyone going through something, some sort of health crisis, you feel quite alone. So uh, it always feels was good when you kind of hear other people's other people's stories so I, yeah i like i like being open about that stuff um but yeah I, I wouldn't change anything it's it's led led me to on a kind of path of growth that would probably if i hadn't hadn't got a condition i would have stayed drinking every friday night and getting blackout drunk and partying and uh not looking after myself so yeah i'm, I'm grateful for it that's one thing i didn't ask you did you knock the booze on the head completely as well oh yeah i don't drink now drink was like the easiest thing for me to give up uh i really don't miss it i love i actively love not drinking and i like going to the pub and being with people who are drunk and then not not being drunk and, and then, then not having a hangover <laughs> yeah yeah you can't be that that feeling of smug smugness <laughs> but yeah it just feels good uh, drinking's not for me anymore yeah cool alright mate well thanks again it was great to get to know you and I look forward to seeing you in, uh, in Bristol at the uh, Bitcoin Adventure yeah likewise likewise pleasure thank you see you mate see ya well guys what did you think of that one another person coming on the show talking about nutrition and health and what a scam that has been pretty much all of our lives certainly since 1971 take a guess what the fuck happened in that year i think you'll probably know by now if you don't go to wtf happened in 1971.com there is a brilliant resource especially for uh that did the pre-coiners in your life that don't see the things that you see it's it's brilliant uh, resource to show them walk them through you know what's been going on what has happened since 1971 but uh, yeah alex thanks so much mate for sharing that story uh if anybody out there if this has resonated with you in any way if you've suffered at all from any of these symptoms that he's talking about make sure you dm him because he's a brilliant resource and you'll be more than happy to share more of, uh, of what he has learned um, and if you're interested of course in the uh, the seed jig which looks amazing go check it out seedjig.com or if you just go to Alex's profile you can uh, follow him on Twitter and just hit the link under his profile this is a beautiful piece of artwork uh, made out of you know beautiful metal uh, stainless steel all handmade bringing craftsmanship back into the uh, into the world which is also great to see it's 
honestly a, a, a great piece of kit. Go and check it out. I look forward to catching up with Alex at the, uh, the Bitcoin Adventure Day, BTC Adventure Day, I think it is, on Twitter. Make sure you go and check out that event if you're in the UK or gonna or want to travel to the UK for it. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be going there with uh, three of my kids and uh, speaking on stage at some point, talking about world schooling with another world schooling dad, Bitcoin Maxi out there. Shout out to Nathan Day, who's going to be going along with his uh, with his little ones too. It's going to be a great event. Uh, make sure you're stacking sats, guys. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Relay.ch forward slash bitten. Uh, Coin Corner, check them out as well. They are based in the Isle of Man. They are an exchange and you can set up auto buys. The Bitcoin Reserve guys, I'm going to have a new link for those guys too coming soon in the show notes. And uh, shiftcrypto.ch, take control. You know it's very important. Get that hardware wallet. The Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition. And then don't forget to check out if you're interested in coming along to the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference. That'll be in Prague, 21st to 23rd of October. You can use code PRINCY20 for a 20% discount on that. And check out bitcoinday.io as well. Catch you on the next show, guys.